Are you frustrated with your government contracting journey? Do you feel like there's just something missing in your business, but you just can't put your finger on it? Are you finding enough opportunities? Are you struggling to win the few opportunities you do find? Do you have a plan of attack or a strategy for this market? Would you like somebody to review your current approach? Maybe it's time to consider getting a coach. Our team of coaches have helped our clients win over $13.6 billion in government contracts. We've figured out how to help companies just like you accelerate in this market. Market. If you want to find out if coaching is for you, go to federal-access.com forward slash govcon coaching today and fill out a coaching application. I will personally respond to your application and schedule a time for us to talk about your business. There's no cost for the session. There's no obligation. There's no hard sell or anything like that. What I will guarantee you is I will review your top challenges and give you detailed advice. And if coaching makes sense for you, I'll walk through your options. Visit federal-access.com forward slash govcon coaching today to get started. Now let's get into this episode. Welcome to Game Changers for Government Contractors. Game Changers is dedicated to helping you position for and win more government contracts. And now your hosts, Josh and Mike. Hey everybody, Mike Lejeune here with Game Changers for Government Contractors. I've got Chris with me here today. Chris, before we hop in and talk about things today, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about who you are and what you do? Awesome. Thank you, Michael, for having me on. My name is Chris Rabasi. I grew up in uh, Calumet City, Illinois. I was a Marine, both enlisted and an officer for 26 years. All that was either in supply, logistics, or contracting. And now I'm currently the uh, small business advisor for Marine Corps Installations East, which is located in Jacksonville, North Carolina, and uh, part of your namesake there, Camp Lejeune. Nice. So that's just a rough overview of me. You're over the east there. What region does that cover? I mean, obviously it's in the east, but like what bases does it cover? So Marine Corps Installation East covers Camp Lejeune, Marine Corps Base Camp Lejeune, Marine Corps Air Station New River, which is right across the river from us here in Jacksonville, North Carolina. Then we have Marine Corps Air Station Cherry Point, which is up in Havelock, North Carolina, which is close, very close to New Bern, North Carolina, for people that don't recognize the name Havelock. Then we have Marine Corps Air Station Beaufort, which is in Beaufort, South Carolina. Marine Corps Logistics Base, Albany, Georgia, which is in Albany, Georgia. And then Blount Island Command, which is in Jacksonville, Florida. And that's where our maritime pre-positioning ships operate out of there nice. as well. So nice. those are all, that's all Marine Corps installations. Nice. That, that's awesome there. So I don't, when uh, I had posted something on LinkedIn, just looking for different guests this year and you had reached out and I'm really happy that you reached out because as we were talking just before the show here, I like to be kind of a conduit between government and industry. And I think this is a really good forum for us to come on and talk about things in a, in a nice environment where we can get this message out, make government not so scary, which I think people are so scared. I, I was talking to a couple of clients this week and I said, have you reached out to the small business rep, the contracting officers, and they were just like deer in the headlights? I'm like, why? Why haven't you done this? If you're going to build a relationship, don't you think you should talk to these people? And they're like, but I'm just afraid to. Like, I'm just scared. And I don't think it is. It's not that government's all that scary. It's just the fact of reaching out to people you don't know to have a conversation is scary to them. And and I, I think that leads into one of the first questions you put out here, because I, I know you want to come on and, and help bridge that gap and talk about some of the challenges that business have. But one of the first questions was, you know, what do businesses see as some of the major barriers to DOD contracting? And that was more kind of one to get from the 
the commercial perspective. In fact, the Department of Defense back out in the late fall, I believe it was November of 2021, had actually gone out and asked for feedback from small businesses and businesses in general what barriers are. I think the results are probably still being analyzed and staffed. I mean, my immediate, and now keep in mind, I've been in government since I was 18 years old. I've never owned a business. I thought I owned a business, but I have not been on that side. But I do hate debt and I do hate risk. And I know those things are are stressful to businesses. But I think uh, like you were just saying is where to start and truly where to start. And then all the regular, what, I don't know, I can't remember if I sent you the booklet that I mm-hmm. give to vendors, mm-hmm. the, the very complex uh, retired major slide that shows the government contract environment. To me, one of the main barriers is just the volume of regulations, which we don't have any control over, uh, and they're ever-changing. I mean, if you look at the cybersecurity and maturity mile certification, that's that's gone under a couple iterations and has even been implemented. Right. So I just think if I was a business, I would think it'd be the complexity of regulations. I'd be interested in what you hear from your clients. We're all over the map from stuff like that to you have certain businesses that they reach out and they're like, man, contracting officers hate us. They won't return phone calls. They won't talk to us. They won't do anything. There's nobody in government that will return a phone call. They don't want to meet with anybody. They don't want to do this. They don't want to do that. I always push back and say, so how many times have you reached out? And they're like, twice. I'm like, so you've reached out twice to somebody who's probably gotten a hundred phone calls that week. And you've really kind of blanketed the whole government. I mean, that's the kind of thing I see where they, they have one or two, not even bad experiences, but one or two experiences that don't go their way. And they're like, oh, all of government's this way. That is not the case. I've even had situations where I'm like, look, there are some small business reps that you'll call and they could not care less. I, I've had it happen. And then there's others that really dig into a conversation with you and they're and they're so proactive and they literally help you along the way. It it's just that as Josh, my partner, says, it's a microcosm of society. Some people are really willing to help you, some aren't. And then who knows when Bob had a bad day and he just doesn't want to be on the phone with you because you called him in the middle of his, you know, one coffee break. Like like people don't think about that kind of stuff. And so I would say the the people component is really difficult for a lot of stuff. And then the other component that's really difficult with which I know is is going to be part of our next question about how the government generates requirements. The other part is like, how do I find opportunities? Because there's there's the stuff that is inside of Sam, and we always say when we're talking to our clients that that's the scraps. Every contracting officer will look for every way humanly possible to avoid that. They'll look for different contract vehicles or other things, and then when all else fails, they'll put it through Sam. There's all these these opportunities that are happening outside of Sam that they don't know. How to find people don't know how to look at a forecast or how to decipher it. Then some have a very generic forecast of hey, four billion dollars this year is going to go to IT services. Whereas if you look at an, uh, an Air Force forecast, you'll get a detailed spreadsheet of the stuff they have going on and in which quarters they expect to put the RFPs out. And so there's all this. What I would say the challenge to get your hands on procurement information is one of the big challenges. So people and finding requirements are probably the big two that I see out there. And before I turn it back over to you, I actually responded to that email that notice that the government put out in 2021 about, hey, what do you see as the challenges? And I don't remember what I wrote, but I know there were like seven challenges that I focused on. And I wrote a paragraph on each one of how you could address each one of them. So I hope they get mine and actually do something with it. That would be nice. Well, if nothing else, I'd be glad to see what you wrote. 
just because, you know, for my world. If it's back to me, so here's here's the first and foremost on this. Okay, this is going to be Chris Rabassi talk as a contracting officer first. Nine times out of ten when you call me as a business, I'm deep into a requirement. So I'm trying to figure out, I'm writing a war decision, I'm doing something. So I get a phone call saying, well, how I do business with the government. So just human nature, it get. I hate to use the word annoying, but <laughs> that's yeah. what it is. But it feels annoying, yeah. But the reality of it, and this goes to your next question, so let me stop real quick. I want to make clear my experience in government contracting. I am 100% simplified acquisitions, FAR Part 13. I don't have any experience in construction. I don't have any experience in major acquisition contracts. So just for the benefit of your audience, you're, you're talking to a simplified acquisition guy under $7 million, you know, supplies and services, basic. The government works... At least I'm speaking now for my lane with the Marine Corps. We use government points of entry. You mentioned SAM. We use Government Services Administration's EBOT. We use uh, NASA SOUP. And I mean, we all know what the NASA acronym is. I forgot what the SOUP acronym stands. Mm-hmm. We use those three primary government points of entry. SOUP, mostly for IT uh, products and services because we found it to be a good platform. I mean, I'm not correcting you, but for us, we use SAM primarily as our government point of entry. We find it to be the most reliable. We find it to meet all the requirements we have for posting sources sought, requests for information, synopsis, and the actual solicitation. I'll be glad to, I know you know the difference between all those things, but I'll be glad to elaborate on if you want me to. So we primarily use those government points of entry as contract. Now, yes, we have several hundred government commercial purchase card holders that will call, do the old school, call three mm-hmm. businesses and you know do that kind of thing, which they don't necessarily have to do either. My point is we don't call businesses directly for contracts and things of that nature. So I understand when you're calling me, you're ultimately trying to figure out where the government point of entry is. And again, that was all contracting officer had that I was talking through here. As a small business person, I answer my phone on the first one. And I answer emails within, depending on what the question is, I'll answer an email within 10 or 15 minutes if it's a simple question or a little bit longer if I got to do some more research. So it all depends. You know, again, we are all human beings. Small business hat on. I mean, I exist for the businesses, the direct government part of my job, the reviewing the uh, small business coordination record that the Navy uses, the Marine Corps uses. That is, I'm not going to put a number, that is the smallest part of my job. Mm-hmm. The biggest part of my job is doing what we're doing right now. I think I answered the part of the question about requirement generation where it comes from forecasting i like what you said there about people that you know the far requires us us agencies to put out their forecast you know there's only so much detail we can put in like i don't know if you went on and looked at the forecast we post but we post who the incumbent is what the contract number is what the dollar amount was so you could go businesses can go do further research in a federal procurement data system next generation so they can see and we put the quarters on there when we think the solicitation's going to go out now when we're going to award <laughs> i made a very good point we have stuff right now if it's a second quarter that's a fourth quarter requirement but we're going to be soliciting for it in the second quarter so I think that kind of answers your question on the mechanics of things as well, too. You know, back to the, the comment I made there about how a lot of them use SAM as scraps, you know, that's where that kind of goes through. It really is. It depends on the agency. So like when I'm talking to people, I say, look, you need to find out who your agency is. 
That's always number one. But number two is you need to figure out how they buy. When you're looking at how they buy, the how they buy could be different from, like as you were saying, from the Marine Corps East, where SAM is your main portal, that's where you're focused to, to if I switch to another group somewhere, that may not be their thing. Or if I'm looking at you and you're saying IT, you're primarily using NASA Soup, I could be talking to two companies that are both talking to your organization but the how they buy their services is different. So they need to craft their strategy based on, hey, if I'm talking to them and I'm on IT, I better be on NASA Soup because that's their preferred vehicle in order to, again, meet those needs. And so it's the agency, how they buy, and then the other factor is of how they buy is also when it comes to meeting their small business goals because I've found some agencies where, let's take the VA, for example. The VA, you know they're going SDVOSB. <laughs> You know, every chance they're get, they're going SDVOSB. If that happens to be a WSB or an 8A or whatever, that's just gravy to them, but they're going SDVOSB. And I could take the same service and go look at the Army at a particular agent or base in the army, they have really high WOSB numbers. And so if I want to sell my service or my product to that group, hey, if I'm a WOSB, then I'm going to be competitive. But if I'm not, I'm going to struggle because they have such a group of WOSBs. That's how they're selling. And oh, by the way, whatever contract vehicle. So there's different layers of the onion, in my opinion, once you look at that organization of how they buy what I sell, not just how they buy in general, where they're spend is, but how do they buy what I sell in order to make my strategy relevant in that agency versus coming to you and say, well, we're not on that. We're on, I'll just throw Polaris out there. We're on that. And why don't you buy through that? Like, because we don't, <laughs> you know, what do you want me to do? It's like trying to force the round peg through the square hole and they don't understand. So I see that as a barrier for a lot of people is they don't understand the how you buy and they're trying to force you through their own little channel because, oh, well, I've got GSA and everybody buys that way. Maybe. Right. Yeah, it's a maybe. So, you know, one of the, the questions that I have for you on the other side of it is what do you feel are like the frustrations that, that you deal with? with where I know you're, you're trying to help. What are some of the frustrations that we probably cause inadvertently for folks in your position? So first of all, going to how people buy things, one of the frustrations is understanding it's not just how we buy, but who has the authority to mm. buy. I get calls from construction vendors all the time, all the time. I love them, I respect them, but we don't have, my office, the Marine Corps Installation East Regional Contracting Office does not have the warrant authority or the contractual authority to do construction contract. That's Naval Facilities uh, Engineering and Systems Command, NAVFAC. So you can call me all day long and talk to me about construction, but I'm gonna refer you immediately to my NAVFAC folks. And I know them, I talk to them, you know, I send them that all the time. So that's one thing is fully understanding there's different authorities. Well, just one more quick example. If you're trying to provide some new type of body armor to, to the Marine Corps, that's Marine Corps Systems Command, Program uh, Management, uh, Individual Combat Equipment. You gotta kind of know who you're talking to and what authorities they have as well too. So that's one part of it. On the proposal side of things, my number one pet peeve, 
And this is what brought me to you, Michael, is I listened to the podcast a month or two ago where you're talking about don't make, I think you were talking more about uh, capability statements being salesy, but it was, it's the proposals. And I think you had mentioned that you were looking at a client's document and then they had their name in every paragraph. Yep. Well, in the technical part of a proposal, I've had to redact Vendor names on every sentence. Could you imagine reading a 50-page proposal where the vendor's name was mm. in every sentence? That's crazy. That That's huge. And I don't think people, aside from it being crazy, it's definitely crazy. Understand, I'll slow down here. For the technical portion of a proposal, that is, you know, the vendor's name can't be there. It's supposed to be completely vanilla. We're supposed to be no, and I'll, I'll keep it in the service realm. We just want to know that you understand the performance work statement and you're answering those questions. The vendor name cannot be in there because technical evaluators have to see them independent. I'm not going to get into a technical evaluation class. But the importance of that is, I mean, I personally have made the mistake of over-redacting. You know, I'm trying to get the vendor's name out of there. But, you know, you're going through 50 pages and there's other source selection sensitive information that needs to come out too and uh there have been a couple times where i've gone too far with the redaction technical evaluator would come back and say chris i could evaluate this but i can't see this part of it and then i go and look and go oh crap no no that's good you know we can get back in there so they can see so that's one of the biggest frustrations and it goes back to the first question about the government points of entry you're not really selling to the government. The government's the one generating the requirement. As a business, you're demonstrating that you can meet that government's requirement, where it's minimum salient characteristics for supply or the performance work statement for a service. The sales aspect of it can get to be frustrating because that's where you're going to keep hearing, just go on SAM, just go on GSA, just go on NASA Soup or whatever other government points of entry are out there. That's why people are hearing that because ultimately what matters is that proposal from the vendor. And I think a lot of times or business and what I've seen is a lot of businesses focus on everything but the and the proposal is the most important thing because that's what's going to get you the contract. The booth at the trade show, the business card at the Chamber of Commerce meeting, those are all part of it, but that's not what's going to make you competitive for award. Truthfully, it's going to be that well-written proposal. Yeah, so. that, that's good stuff. And I think that podcast was the one I did on five proposal mistakes, maybe. Mm-hmm. That, that might have been the one. I remember doing that one. So, yeah, it's wild to me some of the things that people do in proposals and then look back and are like, well, I didn't see anything wrong. With, with doing this I'm like because you you're you're struggling with your message you're struggling with this you're struggling with that that's a big piece of it you know to me there's so little effort that goes into the proposal where there's all this effort that it, it's one of the two where I'll see people are either putting a lot of effort into a proposal or no effort and if they're putting no effort they're putting all this effort into prospecting and it's like why would you put all that time energy and money into prospecting and then spend minutes on the proposal you literally you you finally, it's like, hey, I've spent all this time at the gym exercising, and then I'm just going to go up to the plate and not even swing at the pitches. Like, I'm, ju- I'm just going to totally win because, like, I should win because I, you know, I've done all this exercise or whatever. And it's probably a bad analogy, but it's just no. one of those things where there's all this effort they're putting in on one side and none on the other, or flip flopped, where there's all this time put in a proposal, and I'll ask a basic question like, do you know the customer? And they're like, no. Do you have a teaming partner that knows the customer? No. Do you know anything about 
<laughs> Do you know this requirement? Is this your main service? No. It's one of 19 things we do, but we can write a really good proposal. <laughs> you know, it, there's a balance of getting to know the customer and putting together the right proposal in your niche to be competitive and all that stuff. Uh, I know I'm kind of preaching to the choir on that one, yeah. but it never hurts to reiterate that stuff to people. So final question here before we, we kind of close up. Talk to me about small business outreach events, things like that, that you find beneficial for small businesses. Here in North Carolina, we have the uh, North Carolina Military Business Center. They're a state agency. They're part of the state of North Carolina, and they have everything from intro to government contracting 101 all the way up to cost and pricing. They host actual in-person, well, once COVID lives, <laughs> and they're doing it, in-person events where vendors can actually bring out their booths and actually you know, show their products, interact, and things of that nature. So I'm a huge fan of them, obviously, because we're here in North Carolina. And anybody can go to that website and take advantage mm. of those classes. The NCMBC themselves are mandated to grow businesses in North Carolina. But that doesn't stop you from going to the website and, and partaking in, in a lot of great information. Being involved with the Chamber of Commerce, you know, getting out there, knowing that. Industry days. Industry days. I keep calling them booth shows because there is a difference. In industry days, the government is no kidding looking for a specific service or product. You know, their government's actually, hey, we know what our requirement is. Now we're trying to see who can do it. Booth shows are just that. They're just trade shows. So I always tell businesses, if you're going to spend time, money, and effort on things, you know, look for those industry days because those are where the government truly is is looking for us. So, uh, I get calls from vendors all the time with asking for things that are system related, whether they be radios, body armor, things of that nature. Up in Quantico, I believe it's May to the 9th. I apologize if I got the dates wrong, but I think I'm right. Uh, it's the Modern Day Marine Expo up in Quantico, Virginia. That one, if you're going to spend time, money, and effort on going somewhere, I, I recommend that because you're closer to the decision making. You're closer to Marine Corps Systems Command. That's where the people, where the requirement generators mostly are and the people there. I mean, you're not going to get a contract at the booth, of course, but you're getting your product out closer to the right people. You got to really understand what event you're going to and what its value is to your business. Mostly, some of these shows are very expensive. And I'm not saying don't go to them, but understand, you know, if you're going to spend several hundred dollars on a booth, you know, you got to think about what your return on investment is going to be. Yeah, yeah, that, that's always a good thing. And if you're listening to this, you're a Federal Access member. There's actually, we have two questionnaires inside. I believe it's either, I think it's in the marketing module that actually go through in depth evaluating if a conference is right for you. There's a lot of different questions to ask. So I highly recommend you take a look at that if you're already a member. If you're not a member, you know how to become one. <laughs> Just go on the website and become one. But yeah, I, I think that's one of the biggest wastes of money that I see from people is they just go to these events. They don't have any calls to action. They don't have a plan. They just show up. They go to their booth. They hand out pins and candy. And they're like, why isn't it working for me? And then you broke everybody's heart when you were like, you're not going to get a contract at the at the booth, right? Like, what? We're not going to get one of those at the booth or, you know, at the conference? No, that that's the right answer there. It's just not going to happen. But, but the people that you can meet. And to me, that's so important of going and sitting in sessions because 
all of these government folks at every single conference I have, a lot of them are giving sessions and they're talking about their forecasts. They're talking about upcoming projects. They're talking about problems they have. And oh, by the way, there's always a Q&A section where you can say, hey, you know, I'm a small whatever. What's the best way for me to do business with you? If nothing else, they've seen your face. They've got to have like, hey, that was a really intelligent question or whatever it may be. And now you've kind of gotten on their radar. That's a big one. So my final question, I thought that was my last one, my final question for you. And this is how we kind of got connected here is what are your thoughts on industry connecting with you government on social media? It's where we're at. It's in the future. I mean, me, my responsibility on the government side is to stay in my lane, you know, and understand there's just certain things I'm not going to talk about. You know, I'm not going to mm-hmm. get political. I'm not going right. to, you know, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to, I'm going to talk to my, my handbook here and yeah. I give to vendors that I think if I didn't send you a copy that I will. I have an actual guide where I follow. So is I think as long as on the government side we're staying in our lane and talking the fundamentals, then that's fine. Yeah. And on the industry side of things, as long as you're showing your capability statement, letting us know how you're out there. I mean, I'll be honest with you, the best way to develop a dialogue with the government is responding to sources sought and requests for information because in those things you get to ask questions. I mean, you actually get to ask mm-hmm. questions on solicitation too, but that's a little risky because right. there's, there's a little bit more of a, a time demand or there. But if you're responding to sources sought and not only responding, but asking questions and, and doing that, that that is, the to me, the best dialogue you can have with government. Again, yeah. not going to guarantee anything, but it's going to help you be more competitive. That's really good advice. Is there anything that you want to leave us with today is kind of like your final thoughts? Understand you have a support network. You have your local chamber of commerce, you have community colleges, you have the procurement technical assistance centers, you got Michael's podcast here. I mean, you've got all kinds of great resources out there for you. So I would think with businesses, you know, brilliance in the basics, know your business, be confident you know your business and all the regulations that surround it outside of the government. And then you can start dipping your toe mm. in the water in the federal government. So I would think that would be my parting shot on that. That's really good. I like the way you said brilliance in the basics. You know, that that's a really good thing because too many people are trying to, they're dabbling in everything and they're not good at anything. The more you can focus and really, I, I use the word fundamentals all the time, basics, fundamentals, those fundamental things, the simple, simple stuff are usually the ones that when I'm, hey, are you doing this? And it gets quiet. I'm like, oh, you're not doing that. You're not doing this basic fundamental thing. And that's why you're not growing right now. All really, really good stuff. I appreciate you coming on and giving us a different perspective than what we usually get. I can't thank you enough for helping, again, bridge that gap there between industry and government right here. So thank you again, Chris. No, thank you, Michael. I really appreciate what you're doing out there. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Game Changers for Government Contractors. For a full list of episodes and other resources, be sure and check us out on the web at www.rsmfederal.com slash gamechangers.